help support your local businesses. Whether they're your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops, local businesses have always been on your team, supporting you and your community. They remember your order and call you by name, always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, help your team score and choose to shop at a local business. And while you're there, look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how we doing? Well, Jordan, I, I don't think we're doing quite as well as Rams fans are doing. 2-0, another good win, tough road trip, beat the Philadelphia Eagles. I thought it was solid. What did you think? Yeah, they looked good. Um, obviously, there's some spots that merit some cleanup, which we will get to throughout the course of this podcast. But if you can start 2-0 and in really just the weirdest season in NFL history um, with no preseason and barely any training camp and no spring. And by the way, yes, there are some injuries, but generally speaking, including in proportion to the rest of the league, you're pretty limited in the injury front. Um, I think Rams fans have a lot to celebrate this week. Yeah, I'd reiterate something I said last week, which is that this is one of those games to me that kind of, I don't want to say defines your season, but it it could because the NFC West is shaping up exactly like we thought it would, which means very tough. Uh, So you've got six of those games coming up and uh, to, to be able to win these games like the Dallas game, the Philadelphia game, these are good teams uh, with, with a lot of talent. So to, to come out of that two and oh, uh, obviously, you can't do any better than that. But, uh, you know, if, even if the Rams have been a one and one at this point, I think you're still kind of staring at the rest of the schedule going, oh, boy. Uh, but uh, to, to win two good games like that and uh, to show some positive signs across the board, I know we're going to break it down into, into a little more uh, specifics. But, uh, Jordan, I, I know everybody's kind of curious uh, about the injuries coming out of that game. Uh, what, what do we know? It looks like maybe maybe some offensive concerns. Yeah, so let me um, run it through for you guys. So we, you know, after speaking with Sean McVay this week to start out Bill's week, um, obviously recapping the injuries as well. So Malcolm Brown left the game on Sunday with an apparent finger injury. Apparently that is a pinky fracture. Uh, I am told he has nine other available digits on his hands, so he will be fine. And um, he, he's going to be available for Sunday. He got that set, and he's going to be able to play with a splint. So Joe Noteboom left guard. He also went down. Now, this one's a little bit more serious. That's a grade two calf strain, um, obviously more serious than a mild calf strain. So there's even a possibility that he goes on injured reserve, which, as we recall, is a three-week period unless designated further this year. Um, okay, and then the, the one that sounds really gnarly, but actually got away with um, something as, as sort of as clean as it possibly could be considering the circumstance. So running back Cam Akers separated some rib cartilage. Ugh. It hurts my soul. 
when Sean said that, I like my entire body puckered up because it sounds so painful. It is really, really painful. So of course I'm not making light of it, but man, that sounds painful. Um, but Sean's next words were, he should be okay. So um, they have not <laughs> made a ruling on his availability for Sunday. And in fact, um, you know, he said that it, you know, obviously is a lot better than having a break or any sort of dislocation or puncture or anything like that. So um, really, really painful, but it sounds like he's going to be at least limited at some point in practice this week. Um, and obviously there's some pain management that goes into that as well. And then one thing that, uh, we should, that we should monitor is, um, corner Darius Williams has Achilles tendonitis, which is, um, somewhat chronic in anybody when they get it. Um, it's really hard to make it completely go away, especially when you're playing a sport such as this. Um, he had a little bit of a flare up, so there's just like some pain. They're going to want to really monitor it to make sure that, um, it's not more serious than a flare up. Cause obviously inflammation can lead to more serious things in that area. So he's going to sit on Wednesday, but they think he's going to play against Buffalo. So that's where we're at. Wow. Well, know. you know, you, you look around the league, Jordan, and the devastating injuries that happen uh, this this weekend to, to some top players. I mean, Barkley, McCaffrey, uh, uh, Nick Bosa, uh, you know, all lost for the season. And it's like, we it seemed like we got through that week one when everybody was so concerned about injuries and then it just, it bit everybody in week two and it's just awful uh, to see that. But it, it looks like the Rams, you know, the, there's some concern there, but uh, it looks like they got away relatively unscathed compared to the, to the rest of the, the league. Now, if I, if I watch the game correctly and it's tough cause we were both watching on TV. So this is the, the kind of thing that is made more difficult to, to see sometimes, but it looked like after Joe Noteboom went out, uh, that they just basically did a straight replacement in putting David Edwards in at left guard, and and everybody else stayed the same. Is that? Did you see the same thing there? And and do you do you think they'll stay that way if you know if Joe Noteboom isn't able to play this week? Yeah, that's what they did. And yes, I do think they'll stay that way. And I think that because, like we talked about earlier in the year on on these podcasts, um, it's really really hard to get the reps required at your position on offensive line, particularly with such a truncated spring and summer to do so. So that's part of the reason why they just stuck with note boom at left guard along that line. They, they, they determined what their starting front would be and they just stuck with it through camp because they needed to get those guys repping together. So in this case, yeah, I think, um, David Edwards is, is going to be that left guard on Sunday. You know, there always is the option to moving around, but when, you know, Austin Corbett's been repping, uh, you know, extensively on the right side, it's, it's really hard to switch, from right to left. And I know he's got some experience at left guard. I know that, that, um, you know, a couple of these guys on the line have moved around a bit, but I think that they're just trying to be as consistent with specific reps as possible. And they had found honestly through the first, you know, game and a half that that system was, was, was actually working for them. The line actually was looking pretty decent. So they probably yeah. are going to stick with that as well, moving into Buffalo week. Yeah, that that certainly makes sense. Um, and, uh, you know, by all accounts, uh, things went pretty well. Obviously, you hope uh, for the best for Joe Noteboom. I mean, you know, obviously a guy who dealt with a lot last year, just trying to get himself, uh, you know, into the NFL and, and be a regular starter and then suffers a devastating injury. 
you know, not too far into last season. And now he's got to deal with something again. So that's tough um, for any young guy. And I guess we'll see where that goes. But, uh, you know, Jordan, they, they were able to, to keep it together there. And and like I said, pulled off a nice win over the Eagles. I was, you know, came into the game wondering about that East Coast travel. Mm-hmm. They flew the day before the game. And that's something they really haven't done a lot in the past. They decided they were going to do it this year. And I thought, oh, are they going to be a little sleepy at the start of the game? You know, it's 10 a.m. kickoff, basically. And what did they do? They basically came in and kicked the doors down <laughs> in the first quarter. So there went that idea. But what what were you thinking as, as you were watching, Jordan? I mean, the, the game was a little bit of a journey. It, it, it took a few different directions for the Rams, but uh, ultimately it was a nice win. What, what did you come away uh, with your primary thoughts there? Yeah, let's start with the travel because whatever sort of caffeine that they had before that game, I'm going to need some of that. Like that was wow. that was yeah. just impressive. The way that they showed up and like you said, they, they went full Kool-Aid man on the Eagles to open that <laughs> game. I mean, that was really, really, really impressive. Jared Goff started 13 for 13. That's his longest streak of completions in his career and he even had teammates on the sideline messing around with him and like not talking to him because it was like when a when a pitcher is throwing a shutout you don't talk to him in the dugout (laughs) so on the sideline people just were avoiding him because he was pitching a perfect game quote unquote and you know getting the receivers really involved early in a lot of different ways I thought was very very striking Tyler Higby's performance three touchdowns on five touches was also extremely notable um, I do want to start with the travel, though, because I think that this was on the on paper. It sounds really funny, right? We we heard all week from Sean that it was basically like we're going to be tougher than time. You know, it was like we're going <laughs> to mentally we're going to mentally beat time. We're going to mentally. It, it reminds me of that scene in The Office where Dwight Schrute is talking about he can how he can raise raise and lower his blood pressure just by using his mind and Phyllis yes. Phyllis goes why do you want why would you ever want to raise your blood pressure and he looks at her and he goes so i can lower it you know it's like it, it's like that's that's what i was reminded of this entire time yeah. when it's like Sean McVay was like circadian rhythm what no we're not letting right, that affect right. us we're mentally we're mentally stronger than you know the prehistoric cycles of the human body and so, right. and so I thought that was, I, I, and, and I get it. Like, honestly, I've been on road trips where it just helps to just not go to sleep, right? Because then you, you don't lose that time and um, East West Coast flights are, are really brutal. But if you're managing it, like you're getting a nap on the plane and you're getting your, um, your REM sleep and all of that the night before. And then they, like I said, they just like, or like you said, they just went and kicked the door down. And I think that's really smart. So you see that that method works. And I think honestly, maybe they're a little bit relieved that they didn't stay out on the East Coast because of what you're seeing from teams who have opted to stay in terms of the 49ers. I mean, the poor 49ers, not only do they have the slew of injuries, but they try to get an MRI truck to come and conduct MRIs in their sort of secluded and bubbled location, and the MRI truck breaks down. I mean, you could really, you could deal with a quote-unquote position catastrophe if you stay on the road, and I remember this happened when I covered the Panthers several years ago, they they stayed out west for games against Oakland at the time, Oakland and, and Seattle. And they lost all three of their centers and had to sign a guy out of his basement. Like literally that's where he was living was in his parents' basement because he was waiting for someone to sign him and he was working construction. And they that's who had to start for them 
on Monday night football against Seattle. And it was really, I mean, it was, it was a catastrophe. So when it implodes on the road like that, it can really, really implode. So I think really they, they dodged a bullet in terms of, of opting out of that decision. And, and honestly, if, if they're going to keep showing up like this and the time clearly doesn't affect them, why not? Yeah, it's, it's a good point. I, I was concerned about that, you know, for, for the Rams perspective. But I, I think, you know, we joke about Sean, but I, I think there is something to that. It just part of the problem is just it, it gets in your head. You think about it like, oh, my gosh, this travel and the time change. And, and when am I going to sleep? And am I going to sleep and everything else? And like, if you can just kind of get that out of your head and just kind of make it like a quick business trip in and out, uh, that might be the way to go with it. But Jordan, I'm, I'm glad you brought up um them staying or, or not staying because I, I've seen it a, a couple times on social media and like when it happened once, maybe it's an anomaly. When it happens two or three times, I think it's a trend and people asking, you know, well, why are the, why were the Rams not allowed to stay over when the 49ers were allowed to stay over? They, they made the choice at this point uh, to come back. The, the 49ers, like you said, chose to stay in West Virginia between their games. Now they have to adhere to this very, very strict uh, you know, policy. I think they're set up in a nice resort there somewhere in, in, in West Virginia, but basically they can't leave it for a week other than to practice or whatever they can do in that complex. The Rams looked at that same situation and said, well, you know, yeah, there's benefits to staying there, but they're probably, you know, more than offset by the negatives of, of having to do that. So they chose to fly back. Given that it was an early game, they probably got home like around dinner time Sunday. So they, they got back pretty early and then can enjoy a fairly normal week in Los Angeles before they have to fly back again uh, to Buffalo. So, you know, we both know Reggie Scott, the, the Rams head trainer, he's a master of this stuff. The Rams have been dealing with it for a few years now because of the trips they've had to make to London uh, and they, they even planning to go to Mexico City a couple years ago when they actually didn't end up going. Uh, but they've had a lot of experience with this travel stuff and, and time zone and body clock and all that stuff. So if there's any team that has their research done on this stuff, it's it's the Rams. But uh, still, I thought that was impressive to to go out there and, uh, you know, basically an early kick and, and you couldn't ask for a much better start than that. Oh, yeah, it was great because we've seen we've seen it go the other way before, too. I remember when some of these um, teams would have like Pac-12 scheduling and they would go play at a, what then the Pac-12 network was absurdly scheduling, like these incredibly early kicks or vice versa. You know, yeah. they'd go play at Northwestern or something like that. And and it would be this crazy early kick and they just look flat sometimes, right? This was not the yeah. case. And I mentioned those stats ahead of time. I want to talk about Jared Goff because this was the yeah. best game I've seen him play, um, including last year. And I know it's not the best game in several years that he's played, but to me, in terms of his decision making, the way that he was commanding in and out in the huddle, of the huddle, the way he was setting things up, his presence, even when things got, um, you know, a little bit tumultuous there in the middle quarters, and just the accuracy, taking care of the football, um, you know, I think, and, and he didn't pass a whole lot, you know, 27 attempts, 20 completions that he finished with, 267 yards. But they were clean yards, and I think that was really, really important. Um, and also, Rich, you knew I was going to bring this up because I love to talk about it on on Twitter, um, sort of as a troll, but definitely was impressed this time around. <laughs> Extended a play with his legs. Yes. 
Yeah, no, very, very good. I you, you talk about this being the best game you've seen. You've seen Jared play. I mean, I'd have to go back, but it's it's in the top five. You know, I, th- I think since since he took over for for the Rams. I mean, obviously there were some brilliant ones in in twenty seventeen and in twenty eighteen, but you know he had a lot of help in in those games too. I thought if you just pulled Jared's performance individually on Sunday against the Eagles, he was very good. And you, you know, you talk about twenty of twenty seven. Even the seven incompletions, I, I think he deliberately threw a couple of them away or threw them short because he just thought that was the way to go. Uh, there were a couple uh, later on in the second half that were overthrows. But again, you're talking about a couple throws out of 27 that were that were less than perfect. And uh, everything else was very good. I, th- I credit Sean McVay. Great game plan. You know, rolling Jared out. I, I don't know what it is about him. Uh, necessarily, but it just seems like that gets him in a rhythm. He looks sharper when when he's able to execute maybe some of those play actions and 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 roll out and hit Tyler Higby or hit Robert Woods. It, you know, the the way that they were doing that on the first couple drives, it just you could just see it. He looked so in rhythm and so comfortable. And I thought they actually got away from that a little bit in the second half. Maybe maybe by design, maybe something they were seeing in the defense. I don't know. Uh, but but I thought I thought they slowed down a little bit when they when they stopped doing as much of that uh, in the second half. But my goodness, you look at that performance in the first half and it's, it was, you know, it sounds like hyperbole, but I mean, it was, it was close to perfect. Yeah, he did great. Here's what I like that they did with him. Um, And obviously he's the one that's executing. So this is not to take away from his game as I think sometimes we tend to do when you talk about Sean McVay's play calling, but here, here's what I like that I did, that they did with him. They did a lot of that play action, which, worked like a dream, especially because, first of all, they were able to establish a little bit of a run early, and that was crucial. And then second, they were able to get that that rhythm going with Jared because he is very comfortable with, within that play action. What I liked about what he did on the rollouts was he didn't panic and he didn't he didn't hasten his throws quicker than they should have been. Like that play to Hick to Tyler Higby that he made down the right sideline, he didn't he didn't throw that quicker than he needed to. And sometimes I had seen him rushing kind of like what we talked about um panicking a little bit whether he knew it or not. Honestly, he could feel calm but his body could betray him. In this case, mind and body seemed really synced up. He was doing everything with a very specific feel of timing. He had a great touch on the ball when he was getting it to people, even when he was under duress. Um, I liked that they also gave him comfort with his receivers in them doing what they are good at doing. And in that in that regard, I mean, you have Robert Woods coming through on a couple reverses. You have him as sort of your safety net as well in the receiving game. You've got Tyler Higby, who's offering you a pretty wide catch window when you need it. And they're they're really struggling to contain Tyler Higby as well. You've got Van Jefferson a couple of times, um, and you've got Cooper Cup on these crucial third down plays that where, where you really, really need him. But you've got these receivers playing the majority of the snaps as well, helping with blocking, doing things that are very much within the Rams' comfort zone. And I don't mean that negatively. I mean that because this is a comfort zone that can work very, very electrically um, and not sort of the normal vision you would get when you say the words comfort zone. Um, yeah. But but also you're using, the, the one thing I really, really liked is you're using running backs in the passing game, not just as sort of misdirection and, and ways to 
um, make a defense account for something else, but also giving Jared a little bit more of a layup option so he can get into that rhythm a little bit better. And one of the things that I really liked that they did, I noticed it early on in the game. So last week we saw Malcolm Brown was was the guy, right? And they did use him a couple of times in the flat, catching passes out of the backfield. And at one point there was a play where Malcolm Brown lined up in the backfield and then ran a route into the flat and he was um, shaded a little bit, just a, just a touch by a defender who had seen that exact play and Jared Goff connecting with Malcolm Brown on tape, but instead Jared Goff goes to Cooper Cup in that situation and they convert. Now that's super important, you guys. If you can set up your running backs like that, you can create extra space in the middle of the field or extra space around the receivers that you're targeting. If you can set up your playbook to where you're putting little tidbits out and then doing something completely different the next week, and Sean McVay I think is very, very good at this, um, when you add extra little layers to the playbook every single week and you don't just throw the whole book at the team and you're able to set things up by using previous plays that you know the other team has on tape, I think that that was very, very well executed. Um, and and I thought that that was part of the reason that made, you know, it gave them such a great rhythm early on. Absolutely huge. You can't, I don't think you can overstate what that means. When you look at where the Rams were in, in 2017 and 2018, so much of that was Todd Gurley and just the fact that he had to be accounted for. That exactly what you're talking about, that play with, with Malcolm Brown, where it's like you don't, you don't know whether he's going to get the ball or not in that situation, but you have to account for him because you've seen it before and you've seen it have success. And, and that's where the Rams were. And that's something that in, in my view, I don't, I don't have the, the stats to support it or anything like that, but just from having watched all the games pretty closely – that's that's what got away. They didn't have that last year mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And to get that back uh, is is huge to me, whether it's Malcolm Brown or you talked about Daryl Henderson. I mean, what a, what a nice game for him. You know, he ends up getting uh, targeted three times, two catches for, for 40 yards. Uh, so now he's whenever he's out there, he's a guy who uh, has to be accounted for. So if you can do that, it's not even always just about getting them the ball. This is, it's putting that thought in the defender's head like, uh-oh, we we've have to watch this. We have to watch out for that guy, for that play whatever it might be. And, and I think they got away from that a little bit last year for whatever reason. But I, I thought you said it so well, though, Jordan. They're, they're putting the people in position to do what they do best. Like, mm-hmm. I can't, I'm, I'm repeating what you said because I think that's a very important point. And uh, that's a credit to Sean. And it's a credit to Jared, too, for, for moving the ball around. You, you look at the, the targets, you know, Cooper Cup, five. Higby five, Van Jefferson five, Robert Woods five. I mean, you you don't do that by design. You can't draw that up. Uh, but that that's a great job, you know, by the coaching staff and by Jared of of moving the ball around and and keeping that offense, you know, pretty versatile and things like that. And Jordan, you had a great uh, phrase in in your in your column, the pile after the game uh, that you don't think of very often. Number one wide receiver by committee, and and that's kind of what it's turning into here. Yeah, you know, Rich, it does not roll off the tongue. (laughs) So, you know, that's the only downside to it. But, you know, the funny thing is, and you know how I feel about fantasy football, Rich. um, But I love it. But I go on these. Oh, no. no. (laughs) No comment. But I go on these fantasy football shows sometimes to talk to them, and they'll be like, okay. Who, you know, should they, should people start Robert Woods this week? He had a monster week last week. And I'm like, I don't know, (laughs) honestly. 
Right. Uh, I have no clue because really what it is is any of these guys could be the quote unquote number one receiver from week to week. Let me say this. Six different players caught passes um, from Jared Goff on Sunday. And let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different players, including Jared Goff, <laughs> were mm. utilized in the rushing game. So when I say in terms of the receivers, it is definitely a number one receiver by committee. And I think as you continue to see the emergence of Van Jefferson and Josh Reynolds did some nice things as well. So this does not preclude him um, from being in this conversation. But especially when you see Van Jefferson continue to emerge week over week and some of these running backs being utilized in the passing game um, and Tyler Higby emerging. I mean, really, you you are a number one receiver by committee. And that's that's a good thing. I think in today's world of of fantasy f- football and kind of quantifying what a player can do for you specifically, we get away from the fact that it's a very, 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 very good thing when a team does not know which receiver is going to be the dominant receiver on any given Sunday. I mean, it, it's a fantastic thing. It's an absolute headache for the defense. How much of a headache is it for the defense, Rich? So glad you asked. So it is so I'm I'm on a tear. I'm ooh, I am amped. I need to be like Dwight and lower my blood pressure by command. Um, you know, it is so much of a headache for a defense when you combine the fact that you don't know necessarily who a target's going to be because all these guys can run routes from any spot on the field, first of all. Second of all, they're using a bunch of misdirection, not just pre-snap motion. They also were among the league leaders in the, in week one for at snap motion as well, which adds an extra layer of com- complexity um, to what the Rams are doing on offense. And it's very advantageous when used correctly. So not only do you have these guys who could really be doing anything on any given play, but also you add this mis- misdirection into the equation. The Eagles, multiple Eagles players are on the record saying after Sunday's game that they knew exactly what the Rams were going to be doing in terms of the misdirection, in terms of different types of things that they were were expecting. And they still couldn't stop it. They knew what was coming and they still couldn't stop it. That is how much of a headache it is to be able to do stuff like that. Yeah, it, it looks to me a lot. I'm not going to over, you know, overstate the, the results of, of two games, but just from the looks of it, it they're, they're back on track. I, it, it, you could probably write a whole book about what went wrong last year for the Rams offense, and it certainly wasn't one thing. It was a lot of things. But just looking at the, the execution so far, uh, it, it looks closer to the way it used to be. And even so, though some of the personnel has changed, quite a bit of the personnel has changed, but it, it just it looks crisp. It looks like they have a purpose and identity in what they're trying to do. And that's exactly how it looked the, the year that they went to the Super Bowl. And Jordan, I, th- I think a lot of it is just you have to have the right makeup of players. And I, I, I think uh, it was after we recorded our last podcast. I'm not sure we've talked about it yet, but Robert Woods uh, signing his, his new contract with, with the Rams right on the heels, of course, of Cooper Cup. Uh, signing his contracts. You're talking about guys, when you talk about the wide receiver by committee, these guys legitimately don't care. I mean, you can have receivers on some teams who keep track of their touches and their targets and everything else. And it's been like that with these guys from the beginning. I remember talking to them back in you know, 2017, 2018. 
they just really don't care. They, there's no real personal investment in terms of, oh, I have to get my 10 targets or I have to get my 100 yards or, or whatever it is. It really is all about doing what's best for the team. And I don't think you see that on every team. And I think that the fact that the Rams have multiple guys like that at their skill positions, I, I think it just opens so many doors for that offense and, and allows them to, to do a lot of different things. Yeah, it's a great point, Rich. It's something, too, that prompts Sean McVay after Cooper Cup signs his his massive deal. Um, well, not massive. Reasonable, I think, for him and the team deal. Right. Um, you know, after he signs his extension, prompts Sean McVay to walk over to Robert Woods in, in the quote-unquote locker room, uh, whatever version of that they're utilizing in COVID time, <laughs> and put his arm around him and say, "We're we're getting you next." And it's what prompted the Rams to always have these two locked in tandem once they were able to figure out what the younger guy would cost them. Um, because really, these days, especially in the NFL, it is it does benefit you if you have a, a couple less years than the other guy. Depend, you know, regardless of production, if you're younger, sure. it means you can produce more, quote unquote, by league standards. So you got to lock in the younger guy first. Once they had his not only his um, year parameters, but also his numbers and his base locked down. At that point, you can figure out what you're able to do with Robert Woods. So that was always in the plan for them. These guys are very much linked. Now, they're literally linked together, um, you know, for the foreseeable future here in Los Angeles. And, you know, the, the yes, if you're Sean McVay, you have to be just freaking stoked about it because these yeah. are the two most unselfish guys. And they brought in another guy in Josh Reynolds, who is also inc incredibly unselfish. I would say Tyler Higby's also incredibly unselfish and Van Jefferson is incredibly unselfish. So so you've basically, and I remember I brought it to you, I think it was like one of the earlier podcasts that we did when I joined the beat is like, to me, it just seems like, um, you know, blondness aside, jo Jared Goff is the son and all these guys just sort of orbit. And it, you know, they could be lined up anywhere on the field. They could have as large of a role as anybody could have or as, as quote unquote small of a role as anybody could have, but they're going to keep orbiting around him and they're going right. to keep producing um, as necessary. And I think that's uh, that's really notable. You don't get that very much on a, on a football team. You sometimes have guys who are who are bigger than the offense or you sometimes have guys who who want to be bigger than the offense or want to get their contract and have to hit certain target limits for escalators and things like that. And, and, and you just don't get that here. That's just not something that happens here. No, and I think that is important. I mean, I, I know we talked about on previous episode how we, I think we both kind of evolved in terms of whether the Rams could or should re-sign Robert Woods, you know, given their their challenges in, in financial other areas and need to re-sign guys. But it's it's almost like you stop and think about it and you go, wow, if you have that why would you choose to get rid of it? You know, if, if you have that dynamic, if you have that kind of chemistry and everything fits together so well, so hard to get that. And if you have it on your roster, why would you choose to, to, to get rid of it? So maybe even if it causes a little bit of uh, financial trouble or maybe a couple more headaches down the line, I mean, yeah, that's going to be so hard to replicate with it with another player or a different you know, dynamic at receiver that I don't know I don't know why you would choose to to pull that apart if if you didn't have to so it, it makes a lot of sense and uh, we'll see uh, you know I think it's so far so good with that with that offense. 
Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo, like Austin Powers. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. Or maybe my fantasy football team came up short this week. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com 11 and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com 11 today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash 11. GetRoman.com slash 11. Okay, guys, here's the thing. I know two things about myself to be true. One, I love a good discount. And two, I love, love, love football. With FuboTV, I can get all of these things at once because apparently FuboTV has 15% off a first month of use with 30 hours of DVR available and you can catch the local broadcast as we are all staying at home right now, unable to watch Rams football and that includes your beat reporters. So I am also watching from home and covering the game, trying to bring you the coverage you love. Now here's the thing. You can also get a family plan. Who has in my case, sisters who like to steal your various streaming device passwords. I know I certainly do. So capitalize off of the discount. Make sure you can get the standard base plan that offers two screens at once and the family plan where three people can watch at once so you don't have to worry about fighting over that pesky password. You know, this is tough times for a lot of people, but if you do want to save money, the $50 is more affordable than other cable providers. And you guys, I'm telling you, I love a deal. So NBC Sports is included on their national feed, and you can catch your Los Angeles Rams and all of your teams that you love on Fubo TV. The NFL season is here, and Fubo.tv will not disappoint. Stay updated on your favorite teams as well as local broadcast news. Go to FuboTV.com slash athletic today. Get 15% off your first month. You won't regret it. That's FuboTV.com slash athletic. Start your first month today. Rams fans, we know you'd prefer to be at SoFi Stadium this season enjoying those Pepsi products. We know this football season will be different, but Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Pepsi, made for football watching. You know, Jordan, we've talked a lot about the offense, and I think everybody does. That's still the Rams, always going to kind of be the Rams' identity. But but what do we make of the defense? Uh, 19 points allowed to, to the Eagles on the heels of only 17 points allowed to the to the Cowboys, uh, there, there were some issues that, that needed to be cleaned up a little bit after that Dallas game. Uh, how did it look to you? 
Yeah, you know, let me preface this by saying I don't think the Eagles are a good football team. So if you didn't beat them 37 to 19 or some similar faction of the score, then you probably would have some issues. Um, they just they just are not good. Carson Wentz is just not I don't know what's going on with him, but he's not seeing he's not seeing receivers downfield. Last week he was yeah. holding the ball too long. This week he was just trying to do too much, you know. I would say he forced a little bit of that throw, that fantastic Darius Williams pick. Darius Williams was ready since like Tuesday to jump that route and grab that pick. <laughs> They're doing this thing called pattern matching in practice. So at the risk of sounding uh, insane, basically they're studying several sets of types of plays and they are able to switch coverages if they see a specific play that they worked on in practice is is on the way. I think that's really cool, first of all. And second of all, um, I'm rambling because I just think they're doing great things on this defense. <laughs> but but right. basically, yes, you know, I think that, that there was a couple of really splash moments. That Darius Williams pick was such a tone setter for what the Rams needed to do to get back into the game. At that point, they were flailing a little bit offensively. They also had gotten gashed a little bit on defense. And so limiting some of those larger plays, um, still pretty good against explosive plays, but limiting some of the mid-range to on the verge of explosive plays is something that they certainly need to um, take a look at. But Darius Williams is someone who I think was an absolute star in, in Sunday's game. Another another guy who I think is just coming along so well is Micah Kaiser. I got so much enjoyment watching that linebacker tandem of Micah Kaiser and Kenny Young uh, Sean McVay said it best when he spoke to us this week. It's like they are so physical at the point of attack in terms of the hit point of the tackle or wherever the catch point is that the, if a receiver is coming across the middle or something like that, you can feel them like you're watching them and you can you can your body tenses up because you can feel them. I mean, it's just really I thought that, you know, Micah Kaiser led the game with 16 tackles um, is really, really coming along in terms of, of commanding that defense. And we can't understate John Johnson and Jordan Fuller. Now, normally it's the, the number one inside linebacker who's sort of the quarterback of the defense. In this case, it's John Johnson. And John Johnson is doing an outstanding job making sure that everybody is in their spots and doing what they need to do. Jordan Fuller played even better this week than he did last week and, and showed some real situational awareness. Um, he was right there on that that you know would-be Carson Wentz touchdown that Darius Williams intercepted. Um, you know, I, I am still concerned about sort of what feels like a lack of pressure off the edge, but that's not to say Leonard Floyd didn't have a great game. He's quietly doing some really nice things, including helping stave off that two-point conversion attempt. So there's a lot of things to build on with this defense, and obviously that needs to sustain. But what I'm seeing in terms of the issues that need to be hammered out a little bit, sometimes a little too much cushion, in my opinion, um, on receivers, sometimes a little bit of tackling issues. I think that those are are a product of not having a preseason or a training camp or a full spring and slash full training camp. Really, I think that that's something that's very, very positive because these are problems that you can build off of. These are things that could help you trend toward the positive. They're not things that are like, 
okay, right. we just suck. The, that's not the case. Like it's <laughs> right. really, it's really an optimistic, even their mistakes, I think are optimistic is, is basically a simple way of saying that. I, I agree. And it's, it's not structural problems. It's not like you look at it and go, Oh my goodness, they just don't know how to run this defense. Or they, you know, <laughs> Have like, they ever tackled could, before? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's stuff like that where you look at it and you go, okay, if they just tighten the screws a little bit uh, here and there, then uh, they, they could be in really good shape. I, I, agree across the board with you there uh the uh cushion was the uh, you know it, it seemed like talking about Carson Wentz it seemed like there was a really big over adjustment in terms of obviously the week before he'd just been you know getting a ton of pressure and, and I don't know how many times did he get sacked like eight times I think in, in week one yeah uh, so it seems like they came into this game going we are absolutely not going to get you know beat <laughs> by Aaron Donald we are at, and it was just like you know as soon as the ball was snapped it was basically out of his hands uh, you know at times so uh, the fact that they're they weren't quite as tight on on some of those receivers that uh, it, it, it you know I, I thought that was a little bit of an issue and then yeah just that edge uh, Terrell Lewis if he's healthy at this point he's probably getting a pretty good share of the rotation right I mean am I overstating that would would he would he be would he be in there right now yeah, I think so. The only problem is you want to speed power, and maybe they don't. In my opinion, you would want to speed power. And to me, Samson mm. Ebukam is the speed while Leonard Floyd's the power, although he has right. substantial speed. But maybe you try power power on each end. I mean, I think Terrell Lewis definitely has a little speed to him. Um, and, and I think that could be really promising. The thing is, is, is you can't just – and they showed this too. They're rotating guys, I think, pretty well up front. You can't right. just throw the same thing out every single time against these linemen. And so I even saw a couple times they were like, okay, we're not getting, we got to get Aaron Donald like working against someone different. You know, we're going to line him up on the edge, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. You saw that a couple of times, but in this yeah. case, you know, I wonder if there would be a little bit more of a consistent rotation between Terrell Lewis and Leonard Floyd at first. And then you work him into the opposite side or if immediately, I mean, he's got one more game, he's got to be out. But I wonder if immediately you try to work him in where Samson is. Um, but I think this week, I mean, you've got a quarterback who, like, he's an adventure, I guess, watching him because you just don't know what kind of quarterback he's going to wake up and be that day. Um, but right. but one thing we do know is that he can run downfield if he needs to. And so you're going to need to be able to contain off the edge. So where Leonard Leonard Floyd, I think, will be very, very necessary in that regard. And this is a big week for Samson because you might have yeah. Terrell Lewis coming back and we haven't gotten an update yet, but you might have him coming back after this game. So big, big game for Samson Ebucam to try to get some of that pressure and then also contain when um, uh, Josh Allen, <laughs> it's like Sam yeah. Allen, because he looks like a Sam to me, I don't know. But so when when Josh Allen, <laughs> when Josh Allen starts to try to extend a play, you need to be able to contain him. Yeah, it's that's it's a great point. And um, yeah, Samson, I mean, he's he's that's kind of been his thing. He he flashes at times, and then at other times, it's it's just not there. So maybe this is his his game to to flash a little bit. And uh, one thing I'll tell you, it's it's very rare for Aaron Donald to have two quiet games in a row, which. 
bad news, Buffalo, because uh, he was he was relatively quiet. And I mean, look, it's one of those things where if you watch the tape, uh, he's he's still making things happen. But I'm just talking about in terms of you know getting on the sheet and making plays and things like that. I mean, he had he had one assisted tackle, he had one QB hit. That's that's not a prototypical Aaron Donald game. So I would be a little weary if I were the Buffalo Bills uh, offensive line. But Jordan, again, going back to what you said, the, the things you're going to have some things to clean up. You're going to have some things that uh, need to improve. But the thing that I look about this Rams defense is they are getting so far the contributions from people they needed to get contributions from. Micah Kaiser is a big one. They needed Micah Kaiser to play well, and he has played well. They needed a guy like Jordan Fuller, a rookie, to step in and, and play well. He has played well. How about Troy Hill, uh, someone who you profiled very deeply uh, before the start of the season? Uh, he gets a little bit of a new role, a little bit, a bit of an expanded role, uh, and gets a big interception, got a game ball. So you're not only getting contributions from the, the people who you expect to, the Aaron Donalds, uh, Michael Brockers, John Johnson, Jalen Ramsey, people like that. But but you're seeing these younger, maybe less heralded people start to grow a little bit. And, and that's going to need to continue. You're going to still have, have to get better. But to, to see them taking strides early in the season, I, I think, is, a, is an optimistic thing. Absolutely. And I'm going to sound like an old man here, guys. But let me tell you a little something about playing nickel in the National Football League. <laughs> you know... That what was me, it like back in your day? In my day, we <laughs> lost all of our teeth and we liked it. No. So really what what I want to, I cannot emphasize this enough. That is one of the most important positions on a defense now. It just is. Because of how much 11 personnel you're now seeing across the league, an extra defensive back is absolutely just warranted on a field at pretty much all times. And you see that in the snap counts this week. And and Troy Hill passed the eye test very much so. He played all 71 defensive snaps um, for the Rams this week. And that's, you know, he was in nickel for a majority of that. He did move outside a couple of times. You saw Darius Williams um, shift a couple of times. And then Troy Hill moved to the outside in that regard. You also saw them add an extra defensive back. Taylor Rep got a little bit of time. It's like a subverted like big dime where you need a bigger body as an extra defensive back. And so Taylor Rapp comes in in that situation and had 17 snaps. But Troy Hill, playing nickel is so freaking hard because you're going against the most technically sound, savvy, often like the most tough, physical, though they are small, they be but mighty receivers (laughs) on the field. I mean, imagine you have to match up with the Robert Woods and the Cooper Cups for example, and you see them, they're moving across. It's not just working out of the slot. It's anybody who's coming across the middle of the field and you're basically having to act as a third linebacker or even a second linebacker in certain packages. And you're also acting as a defensive back. So you have to have this really technical understanding of what all of the route concepts are going to be, first and foremost. You have to have incredible change of direction speed. You're not just running in the, ver- in the vertical space on either side of the quarterback where the X's and the Y's, uh, excuse me, the X's and the Z's receivers are, are lining up. Instead, you are running extreme horizontally, sideline to sideline. You're often doing a lot of hip flipping, change of direction. You have to really understand what receivers catch windows are so you could try to make a play on the ball and limit that window 
It's so difficult. It's such an important position. These guys are on the field um, as much as anybody else on the defense, if not more these days, because of how many um, how many passing concepts now are being introduced and utilized throughout the league. I was just looking on Sport Radar today. It's like at least half of teams in the NFL are playing 11 personnel at least 50% of the time. That's nuts. You, Sean McVay, by the way, thank you very much for that. So we can't change our podcast name, which is fine. That's right. So, but you know what? Like that is incredible to me. That is incredible. And that makes the nickel position more crucial and more extraordinary of a task than ever. And I think that the people cannot, um, I can't underemphasize how awesome for Troy it is that they looked at him and they were like, you're going to be this guy for us because it's such an ownership within the defense. And it's such a responsibility because you know, a lot of times you do see these outside corners and they're out on an island, right? And that's what your typical understanding of a cornerback is. But you can be, this is going to sound super emo, but you can be in the middle of traffic and still be all alone. It's <laughs> 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 a if great lyric. If you're, if you're a nickel, like you could be in the middle of all that gnarly, nasty, clacking, clanging traffic in the middle of a field and you could still be all alone because you're the only guy who could make a play at any given point and you are the target. And so I think that's really extraordinary for Troy to have that responsibility. I think um, we're seeing that nickel is becoming even more of a base concept for them than I think some people expected coming into the season. I think that's smart, by the way, because it just opens up what you can do with your secondary in terms of rotation, physical play. It helps your off-ball linebackers, like we've mentioned several times. Um so yeah, that's a great. I I love the nickel position. <laughs> in, <laughs> in summation, in summation, <laughs> it's it's important. And also, I think these guys should be getting paid like top corners. I really do. You're 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 going to see that trend. That's the next trend. I think that you're going to start seeing is is resetting and resetting and resetting of this market at nickel because it is so so important these days. Yeah, I mean, especially, and it's it's only going to get tougher, you know, with with some of the offenses that the Rams face this season. So you can you can see what they're thinking, and you can see what they were thinking when they hire a guy like Brandon Staley because he's so he's going to be so on his toes with this stuff. It's it's not going to be just you know the same defense every every week, the same scheme, the same ideas. He's going to be looking at every opponent and making adjustments and seeing, okay, what do we need to do this week? What matchup do I do I need to watch specifically? And um, you know, good job there. So again, it's it's a it's a work in progress, Jordan. I, you know, I I agree with you. The Eagles not the best barometer, maybe just because yeah, Carson Wentz just he didn't something look like it was a little bit off there. Uh, but but they did a good job. Jalen Ramsey, I, I think I saw uh, didn't allow what or he didn't allow a single catch on on any of his snaps, right? Any of his targets. Uh, against so he did his job. Jordan Fuller showed up in the secondary. Um, I give him a I give him a solid grade all around. Jordan. Yeah, and you know while I don't think the Eagles are a good football team, I also think that it was it was incredibly valuable to be an opponent this early because yeah. they do so many different things on offense. They at times were using two tight end sets, which the Rams expected and prepared for. Um, they used Miles Sanders in the passing game quite a bit, which they were preparing for as well. They used a variety of different receivers um, in different ways. So I think that, you know, even though I don't, again, I don't think the Eagles are a good football team, 
it's good that you beat them, first of all. <laughs> and second of all, <laughs> it's good that you had that that versatility of an opponent, um, especially on defense, to work against because it helps you understand, first of all, what you have and then where you need to go because the good teams are incredibly multiple on offense. And so when you are playing a team that in theory should be doing those things and it should be probably better than what they actually are, um, it's it's a great test run for your defense. It's a great barometer, um, and I think it was it was awesome for the Rams that they played them so early in the year. Yeah, and and now an interesting challenge: the the two and zero Buffalo Bills. What you, uh, yeah, are, like oh man, on the, on the on the horizon. I mean, they again. They I think they've beaten the the Jets and and the Dolphins. Um, so you know, not exactly a a gauntlet to start the season, but uh, it'll be a, a challenging opponent and. Hey, if the Rams can can start three and zero, you you've got to be feeling pretty good. Yeah, and so I had a thread on Twitter earlier that I hope people go read because I just was tickled to death by it because the parallels the NFL is so cyclical of a space that the parallels um, here are super super interesting. But the Bills, like these are not the Bills that you're used to. Like these are the good Bills. These are the good Buffalo Bills. Um, and I know. And I have the utmost respect for Sean McDermott, who I covered for a year in Carolina before he departed for the Bills. The Bills have a handful or two heaping handfuls of former Carolina Panthers players on their roster um, and in on their coaching staff. Um, defensive line, I think, is going to be really, really a huge test for the Rams um, on their offensive line. And I would assume that they're going to build in some of the similar things that we saw the Eagles build in against Aaron Donald in terms of hard counts at times, obviously play action, getting layup passes to running backs, getting the ball out of Jared Goff's hand quickly. Um, Cause this is a good defensive line They're They are coached by one of the best defensive line coaches in the league and Eric Washington. And it's, it's a pretty stout test. Um, you know, I'm not super buying them yet because obviously, like you said, the Dolphins and the Jets. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but at the same time, I, I have, you know, obviously because of my connections from Carolina, I had been monitoring and following what the Bills were doing with all of these former Panthers personnel. Um, and they're doing really solid things up there. They're very well coached. Brian Dabble is a really, really good offensive coordinator um, and plays to the strengths of his quarterback when the quarterback decides to show up with strengths on any given day. And um, they they are very well coached. This is going to be a fantastic matchup, I think, and a great test for the Rams to sort of put all of these things that we were talking about together at once. Yeah, it is. They, they, they're building up a little bit more. I just looked as, as you were talking there. The Vegas line opened at uh, Bills minus three. So uh, Vegas certainly believes in the Buffalo Bills in, in what should be a uh, really, really an intriguing uh, matchup. So definitely looking forward to that and looking forward to talking to you about it. And uh, I think we're going to have a special guest maybe next. Oh, guys, I am so excited to share that we are concluding the Player X series. Finally, pardon us, Player X was a little busy making the roster as one does so we will have none other than Player X himself uh, on a future episode of the 11 Personnel Podcast. In the meantime, you should go check out all of the work over at The Athletic LA. Um, you know, Rams fans, we have so enjoyed interacting with you so far throughout the season. 
Um, you know, we've gotten the home game and we've gotten a road game out of the way. So let's keep it churning and keep it cranking here with um, some of these awesome interactions, awesome questions. And Rich, uh, we where can they find you? You had some great stats today. I want everyone to go look at your Twitter feed. Oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Rich underscore Hammond. If you want really good analysis, you can go to at Jordan Rodrigue. <laughs> of course, that's Jordan with a U. Don't forget the U. Uh, and uh, she will give you everything you need to know. And I will chime in with a little bit of snark here and there. Love it. And as always, guys, please go subscribe to us. Leave a rating. I would say five stars, but I'm a little biased, you know, on iTunes. Um, leave a nice comment. We read everything and we love hearing from you guys. And as you can see, we're pretty interactive with you all on Twitter and absolutely love doing it. Um, you can also subscribe to the 11 Personnel Podcast anywhere you get your podcast. And if you subscribe to theathletic.com through the 11 Personnel Podcast, of which we do not have to change the name yet, Rich, what do we get that I love? You get a great discount. I love a discount. So anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in with us this week, and uh, we'll catch you soon.